So we have a number of questions to respond to this time. And as you can imagine, people's minds are varied. So the questions are variable. And, uh, but uh, some of them seem to, to um, refer to the same kinds of uh, topics, which is because these are the topics that always <laughs> concern people. Mental equilibrium, emotional, mental, energetic equilibrium, balance, not being caught up, not being thrown around, not being, you know, burden is the problem. This is the, this is the topic, it comes up in many, many situations, different details. First questioner expresses that they feel so drowsy when they come home, want to go to sleep straight away. And uh, one of the colleagues, just seeing this person, makes them feel drowsy. What am I supposed to do about that? Also in conversation with other people, when another person says something, the questioner finds themselves reacting, creating all kinds of stories and getting reactions going. What should they do? Well, you know, establish sati, mindfulness. Uh, and establish mindfulness on certain fundamental um, ways. Fundamental mindfulness is mindfulness which is based upon right view. Right view points to the nature of conditions, good, bad, and the conditions depend upon other conditions to keep them going. So when we feel an afflictive condition, we have to understand this is not myself, not a person, but this is a condition that arises for a human being. So there's a sense of rather than feeling I am like this, I am like that, this is a condition called lack of energy, lack of available energy. So in that case, well, what's the response to that? Well, become just pragmatic. Lack of available energy, don't just sit there thinking about it, thinking it's not going to make it change. You should need to do something about it. Could be you need to take a nap. You feel very drowsy, or it could be do the opposite, wake up. You know, I don't know. It's your situation, but, you know, if you want to wake up, you, know, you stand up. You're not going to fall asleep standing up. You may feel drowsy. Drowsiness is something we all experience, I expect. Most of us don't like it. We immediately, oh, go to sleep. But you can stand with drowsiness and experience it as sensations and energies moving. And if you stand steady, then you're finding a counterbalance to the effects of drowsiness, which is always to close your mind down. So you can use standing, the body, 
can use sitting, but standing is probably the strongest, uh, to just find some place where you can moor, hold your attention, so you're not getting, mind isn't getting caught up in the drowsiness. The more you practice that, then you also are able to get recognition of where does this drowsiness come from? Is it fatigue or is it just my mind doesn't want to be present? What kind of attitudes do I do I have? Am I someone who just wants to avoid things? Yeah. Or am I someone who works much too hard and then overdoes their energy so they don't understand they can't they can't moderate their energy? I don't know. But this is questions you have to ask yourself. Like if you're always overdoing your energy, then you're going to find yourself slumping down. So how do you moderate energy so you've got a steady stream of it? Don't overdo things. It can be that you have a lot of unwillingness. So you need to question what you're doing in your life. Could be that you don't have much connection to your body. So you're always caught up with sights and sounds and what other people are doing. You know, then your mind has no strength to it. So you need to pull back into, into your own body and take responsibility for it. Um, same thing with this, um, you know, reacting to other people's speech. This is, of course, very common because... Uh, you know, nothing affects us so much as the presence of another person. There's an emotional, immediate emotional recognition and we get affected. Yeah. And generally the the experience is somebody says something to you, you get affected, you say something back. <laughs> you don't need to. Yeah. And sometimes it's good to not say something back, but just to pause and listen more deeply. Um, not necessarily because you want to remember everything they said, but in listening, you're not you're not reacting, you're just pausing and listening and listen to your own responses. When I say listen, I don't mean you're going to write down every response. You just get a sense of an open awareness to those responses. Like open awareness of them. Well, you're not following them, you're not acting upon them, you're not reacting to them, that open awareness of them, you've got a choice. You can say something or you can say nothing. Or you could say things like, just a minute. I can't quite, I've got, you know, I like to say something, I don't feel ready for it. You can, you can, you've got some say, you've got some control over what, what happens. So that's the function of mindfulness. It gives you possibilities, uh, it gives you options. Um, and you need to look at how best to establish your mindfulness. It's going to be around your body, aware of your mind, mindful of your mind, mental habits, mindful of your feeling pleasure or pain, but the founding mooring post is mindfulness of body. Then you can get some sense of not being immediately engage with the mental processes and if you use mindfulness of your standing body 
that will definitely help you with uh, sleepiness, drowsiness, to understand it and to use posture and breathing fully to clear those energies. Energies are a topic for many people, or several questions. First questioner, how does one begin to sense the energy or the subtle body I've tried and feel nothing? Feel nothing. Uh, Well, I imagine you feel something. Um, You feel trying. So what does trying feel like? Probably straining a little bit. Or mm, that's a mental energy. Trying is a mental energy. We try. That's mental energy. And if mental energy is very strong, it will tend to to override the body energy. But mind always stronger and and more quick and more uh, applies more pressure than body. So if you try too hard, you don't you miss it because you you get what you're feeling is your mind your mental energy the power of that. So how do you experience something you want to experience without trying? <laughs> well, uh, you know, just acknowledge what's actually happening in reality. So you say you have a body, are you sure? What tells you that? Don't look in the mirror. Don't look around. How does your body know you have a body? What it feels kind of does it feel a degree of warmth? Does it feel a degree of something solid here? It's not just a passing thought. Is there anything like that happening? Yeah. You probably feel some sensations, like the pressure of your body sitting down. Feel some sensations. Sensations, you feel those. You know, if your sensation, something's touching your skin, putting pressure on you. But even more fundamentally than that, those are sensations. You feel, do you feel um, tense or relaxed? That's body energy. That's not a sensation. Do you feel warm or cold? That's not a sensation. Do you feel um, fresh and bright? Or do you feel weary? That's a body energy. And uh, so it's there all the time. But normally we are... um, It acts as the foundation of our mental states. So when you feel tired... You get these dreary mental states. Feel a lot of vigor. You get a lot of oh right, I want to do this. Yes, yes, this is great. Oh look at that! So immediately your mind jumps in and becomes the dominant player in the theatre of your experience. It immediately overrides the body. So you've got to almost be much more simple and receptive to when you say you have a body. What tells you that? And how is it? 
Now, apart from the physical sensations, there's such qualities as warmth, right? A sense of solidity. Right? Some places feel very solid, some places less solid. And there's a sense of something moving, breathing in, breathing out, moving. And there's a sense of vitality or lack of it. Highly energised or not very energised. All that is body energy. Um, now, the main, um, what generates a, what we call an energy body, where it becomes cohesive, not just flashes of experience, but a cohesive quality, is breathing in and out. Breathing in and out, you follow that, process not just sensations but the energy when you breathe in you get a ah rising brightening quality when you breathe out you get a subsiding cooling quality right isn't it the case like you say relax sit down relax ah breathe out we say okay now it's time to do something right we breathe in because those are the those are the things that change your energy breathing in brightens you up gets you going breathing out settles down fundamentally um, so when we follow that pattern breathing in breathing out it acts like the the central organizer of all the different currents of energy in your body which you're dealing with heat and cold and agitation tension relaxation uh, pressure uh, so forth all that which is just quite um, incoherent gradually it's like a magnet it attracts all the energy in your body it begins to unify it so everything in your body is breathing in breathing out the entire experience of body is just like something that brightens and cools brightens and calms then you have the breathing body and clearly your ears aren't breathing but you don't you're not talking about the anatomical body you're talking about something body in in Buddha Dharma means that which you live in. Yeah. So, you know, most of us, we don't, we can see an anatomical body. We don't live in it. We live in a feeling body. That's what we live in directly. Yeah. And so, and part of that experience is to do with the energy that's there. So you actually are in it. Yeah. But it's so numbed out and agitated you don't recognize it you still believe in this physical appearance but you don't need it when you're sitting down you don't need that, that anatomical map you can just be directly breathing in breathing out or feeling of the body because it's 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 a place where you feel some comfort and ease and, and relief takes the pressure off your mind. And then getting the mind to turn towards that and be quiet. Stop pushing things around, but receive. And it starts to, you get a quality called samadhi, where the mind and the body begin to unite. Yeah. And then you've got something like a, like a, a real body of energy, not just scattered around
So that's how it happens, but, you know, it takes time because often our energies are extremely scattered and, uh, and unorganized by our emotions. Our emotions affect our mental energy, our mental energy affects our body energy, our mental energy overrides the body energy to the point to which the body energy is completely enslaved to the emotions and impulses of the mind. There's no independence from it. When you meditate, you begin to get out of that, being dominated. So you're very, instead of your well-being being controlled by mental impulses, which are tethered to aims and wishes and wants and pains and sorrows, your sense of well-being is connected to the simplicity of breathing in and out, which requires no effort. So it's extremely, and your, your body energy is unified. But if you, you know, feel like, well, what's all that? Try to find a place like if you feel the palms of your hands, for example, just open the palm of your hand and bring attention there. Bring your attention there, and you'll feel after a while it begins to become quite bright, strong. Wherever you place attention, energy will pick up. So part of when we're focusing on breathing in, breathing out, the act of placing awareness onto a body energy makes it start to amplify. You know, putting your awareness onto where you feel degree of energy, so in your palms of your hands, you rest there until that becomes predominant. You can feel the warming, tingling, pulsing. That's energy. It's not you're not holding anything. It's not a physical sensation. You pick it up and how, how does it then take it? How does that feel? Well, it's rather, rather pleasant actually. Mind enjoys it. So you these are obvious places, places which are obvious for people. But ideally, if you get the whole body thing, then it becomes balanced because the problem with energy is it can get very strong in one place and completely flat in another place. So you get very unorganized. You know, it gets so you want to unify, spreading across the body. So scanning, sweeping the body until. But ideally, you're breathing. If you begin to relax your, your muscles in your body and relax your willpower. Your breathing will affect the entirety of the breathing body. And it's very comfortable. That's why the Buddha taught it. So, question asks, um, During my sitting meditation, my body will sway quite vigorously. What causes this? Well, it's an energetic imbalance. You know, it's not decision of your mind. It's not because you're thinking something, it's just your energies are imbalanced. And uh, in such a case, it's you should withdraw from the mental state or the mental theme or the mental preoccupation, whether you're feeling just really relaxed, you know, don't be relaxed. <laughs> you know, because it, probably that relaxation is the unskillful relaxation, it means your mind is losing its attentiveness. Sometimes it can feel quite pleasant. Your body starts kicking around, or you may think, "Oh, this is interesting." 
Or you may think, oh, this is cathartic, or it's a kundalini, or I'm releasing tension. But it's, uh, well, maybe you are, but it's, it's, um, it's not skillful, because it's imbalanced. So you should reopen your eyes, change your posture, or firm up your posture, and give your attention to, a, to where you feel stable. Could be the bones of your body, or the pressure of your body sitting down, or just the ending of the out-breath, to focus on where the experience of stability, groundedness resides. Take that in. Let your mind rest on that. The mind will absorb that. And the nature of the mind, when it's trained, is it can attend to a skillful sign, pick up that quality, and then make it great by itself. When I mean the mind, I don't mean your thinking, I mean your receptive awareness. And that will then... Uh, you can't figure out what energy does. Uh, but if you find your mind's stability, the energy itself will know what to do. It will find balance. Question asks about um, Qigong, a couple of questions about Qigong. Someone says that the standing meditation strike sounds similarly to instructions in Wu Qi. Are they the same or are they different? Well, Wu Qi is, uh, means something like empty energy, but I also translate that as open energy. It means it's got nothing in it. It's not going, it's not coming, it's not pushing anything around. It's just, but it's not, it's quite, it's just open. <laughs> Wu means something like nothing, but it's an empty state because it's not preoccupied with anything, and yet it's at the same time it's quite stable and vigorous, stability. That's an energy. That's an energy of uh, when one is in balance between the active aspects of energy and the receptive aspects of energy. So some energy is about doing things, some energy is about receiving things. When they're in balance, you have this quality, they balance and get what's called Wu Qi in Qigong. Now, Wu Qi can be, uh, and generally is, uh, arises within a standing position. Uh, the, the energy is, is Wu Qi is not standing, but it's an energy that can be experienced in standing because standing does offer a very good opportunity for balancing. The active is subdued, but it's the active, simple presence of holding your spine and connecting to the ground and maintaining that focus. That's your action. You definitely have to stay present, tether, yeah. The receptivity is opening to stability. Yeah. Often it means you've got to allow lots of instability to pass through, but you keep receiving the sense of the stable presence. So you can cultivate Wu Qi in standing. You know, and I kind of tend to you know, encourage that, although... If you're really into Qigong, you probably add little details of exactly how you have your knees or your feet to 
more fully amplify, depending on whether you're doing martial qigong or healing qigong. And there's slightly different postures for the martial aspects are more strong, clearly healing aspects is a softer quality to the posture. Um, somebody also asks about, they found that sinking the breath and giving attention to the, what's called the dantian, which is a lower center, roughly speaking, uh, a few inches below your navel. So it's really where your out breath, you can feel it concluding in this low point in your body when you breathe out, and that descending and then it there's a certain sinking contraction and then you release so that place Dundien so the person found it helpful the person also says well they used to do Qigong and they were taught to direct and control the Qi and the breath which is the opposite of what the meditation teachers were saying so I stopped doing it I hope the Qigong, you stop doing the Qigong because I, I don't understand that instruction, control with the Qi. My understanding has always been you don't control Qi. You, uh, it's not, not, not directly anyway. I mean, you, you stabilize the physical posture uh, and remove obstacles such as bad posture, constriction, agitation, and the chi will flow. You don't control it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't interfere with it. You can damage yourself like that. Um, and you shouldn't control breathing. I mean, what you can do is, is check that you maybe you've got some tension in your diaphragm, so relax there. And perhaps if you open your chest a little more, so you can, in a way, you can work upon um, the framework within which the breathing will arise, same as you work upon the framework within which the chi will arise, but you don't intrude. So you just generate the right space, the energy will find its own way. That's, that's your practice. That's the way I, what I practice anyway. Simple movement to do qigong. Well, uh, I can't demonstrate it right here, but things such as um, uh, qua squats, where you tilt from the hips, or tilt from the, not the hips, but tilt from the thigh, where the thigh bone enters the pelvis, just tipping forward and back. Keeping your spine straight so you don't compress. That's well like that. And then breathing in and breathing out. So imagine that's where my thigh enters my pelvis. This is the waist. And you don't want to bend at the waist, you want to bend at, the, at that hip joint. Keep your back straight, breathing out. Bend your knees, then breathing in, straighten your knees, and rise, let the in-breath come in. So, again, you're not controlling the breath directly, but you're changing the form within which the breath operates. And that's uh, definitely is a 
very simple and comfortable way of um, of um, <laughs> meditating, <laughs> or this is a good way to. I, I think it's a good way to open up the obstacles that constrict, constrict breathing, so your breathing can be more full and fruitful. Now it sounds like you're controlling breathing, but you're not controlling the energy of the breath. You're controlling the vessel that the breath moves through and clearing out the obstructions to the vessel so the breathing can operate by itself. See the difference? Same thing with Qigong. You don't fiddle around with the qi, but you can certainly, you know, subtly, subtly adjust the body to make it more open and receptive to that. Okay, well, we've dealt with that. Somebody's talking about Kundalini crisis. Kundalini is an energy that's experienced is associated with um, yogic traditions as energy that rises up the spine. Um, person says, well, there, <laughs> it seems to cause worldly life upheavals resulting in joblessness, homelessness, etc. because of the energy release. <laughs> well, I think you've got to keep everything in perspective. Uh, so, uh, you know, one should practice in a way that's harmonious within one's life, one's lifestyle, and certain. You know, it's, we're not just working on body energy. There's a mental and emotional um, process and relationships with people, and working on those energy stuff is just has to occur within the much bigger picture of the eightfold path of right speech and right livelihood. Right mindfulness. So the problem with energy stuff is it can get very interesting, and we get fascinated with it, and then and it start you overcook. So it's uh, good to you know go back to basics. You know we're living in a relational experience of other people, so on, and within that, you know. So keep your energy work soft and appropriate. Nothing too esoteric or, or strongly charged because you can get uh, disoriented. Do we need goals in life? Well, <laughs> they come up all the time, don't they? But by and large, the word goal tends to be associated with um, productivity. You know, like the goal for this year's business is to arrive at 5% increase or something like that. And so the word has got certain nuances or attitudes to it that are not complementary to Dharma. We could say the goal is the realisation of Nibbana. But just consider what the word goal, having a goal, does to you. You know, it means you, you, your energy, I want to get there. I want to get there. And so it could take you away from the present. Now, if you say something different, like my goal is purification, rather than, oh, well, how do you do that? Well, you begin to look at your desire and your impatience and your negativity and realise you have to work with these, releasing them here. So I tend to say that you need a purpose in life, which could be, authenticity, purification, um, fulfilment, 
Because, you know, or certainly, it can even come like my purpose is to be a loving person or to be a helpful. But it's much more to do with values, values and virtues, than uh, and heart qualities rather than something I've got to get. You know, it's something you do it rather than get it. See what I mean? It's the difference between tanha, which is always about getting something that I haven't got, uh, getting it, and chanda, which is motivation, which means I do it. I don't want to get some loving kindness. I'm just going to start being a little more gracious and kindness, kind to my my body, my mind, and those around me. So it's purposeful, but it's very much here and now rather than off into the future. The future will always arise dependent upon or affected by the conditions that you're generating in the here and now. So if you're generating a purposeful sense, like work upon patience, work upon honesty, there's a purpose there. Okay, work upon, you know, you name it. Virtues, parami, values in the here and now, then naturally the results will give rise to a harmonious future. Without purpose, we sometimes just drift into irrelevant or um, desultory or distracting escapes. We've wasted, we've kind of haven't really showed up in life, haven't showed up and really taken hold of it. Person talks about. Fear and anxiousness becoming more apparent as they practice um, seems a bit overwhelming. Uh, so was, perhaps I'm not functioning as well as I used to, or is it just getting old? <laughs> well, it, it, I don't know, but it, it can be. It could be a number of things, of course, but it can be the case that uh, practice tends to, um, you know reveal uh, qualities that perhaps were not so apparent um, before because one was busy, one was preoccupied with other things or, or distracted or not very attentive. And so when you come into present reality, then you become aware of, well, for a start, one of the other great signs uh, is called the sign of, un, of impermanence. Everything is changing. Dukkha, nothing's complete. Well, that's insecurity, isn't it? Nothing's complete, everything's changing. That's, that's pretty insecure. So, yeah, that gives you anxiety. When you look around in the world, it doesn't look like a place of great comfort and <laughs> confidence, does it? Just, you know, the political and economic things are always chaotic and crisis everywhere so yeah there's plenty of room for anxiety it's not surprising where where does it stop that's more important it's quite natural to be anxious where does it stop that's kind of what practice is about 
finding the place where the, which is secure, which is not you're not going to find it in in the world, in any of it. Mm. Not in a good job, not in a good house. It's not going to be there. It'll still create anxiety. Only if you have anxiety, you've got to work on the mind and anchor it, stabilize it, and disengage from conditions. The unconditioned is the only secure place. And practicing, and then if you give you confidence to realize nothing wrong with being anxious, but it's, it's a wake up to sustaining Dharma qualities which give you confidence. Yeah. I feel anxious, but I also have, I can rest upon my quality of integrity. I feel uncertain about the future, but I can rest upon, I'm, I'm creating good karma now. That's where I can know directly. That I can know directly. That I have some say over. That I can determine. Yeah. I can determine to not carry negative thoughts. I can determine to, you know, take a deep breath. I can determine to practice Dhamma. Then you've got something if you're you can't have it taken away from you. Everything else you can't you can't hold it. Body of course, body ages. We get sick, we get less capable, our memories get defective, our sense fields are less effective, our vigour is less. Yeah. And so can you cope with the pressure of life? Nope. <laughs> but you can you can rest in the Dharma. So someone experiencing is it possible to when you experience physical pain, is it possible not to experience mental emotional pain? You know, because even even non-thinking creatures, animals, experience physical pain and emotional reactions to it. If animals, you know, get upset by physical discomfort, well, sure, they don't think. Well, surely we, how can we not do it? Well, because we do think. And thinking, or the capacity to think, rests upon our ability to withdraw and survey, withdraw from what we're experiencing and contemplate it, and we can think about it. I'm not saying thinking about pain is going to change it, but the fact that you can step back and contemplate it, which animals can't, we have a mind that can disengage, and then you've got some way of beginning to work with the emotional reactions to it separating the emotional reaction from the physical one separate the two uh, see if you can not saying this is easy but see if you can separate there's the emotional one there's the physical one and can i experience other parts of my body that are not in pain yes can i give attention to that yes can i let go of the body of the physical, of the discomfort, just it has to be that way. Stop fighting it. Uh, and these are ways in which you get disengagement, and it's 
one of the most powerful and most um, long-term practices is to work with painful feeling to get used to it and to work with it day in day out I mean you don't have to be in torture but you sit still long enough anything you do physically sooner or later it becomes uncomfortable even lying down becomes uncomfortable after a while <laughs> everything it tends towards discomfort so we shift to something else and you stay with it and how's that so you begin to change your immediate reaction to, to get away well if somebody's asking about becoming a nun um, what advice would you give follow your heart <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those questions you can never 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 respond to anybody else but if you're halfway interested in it give it a try it's a very beautiful special gift to the world renunciant is a gift makes you a gift because you represent something uh, serene and pure and moral and it's, it's it's really helpful to be able to present that but but you know whether you uh, can manage the restraint and the relinquishment of identity whether you find a place you feel comfortable with these are questions i can't answer it's a good thing if you feel interested to try but recognize it might it might not work but that's life <laughs> it's all trial and error And if you can't, then just try to practice uh, Eightfold Path wherever you, wherever you are. And renunciation is a very important feature of practice. Everybody's practice is not just for monks. Everybody, one of the three fundamental qualities to, to cultivate renunciation, loving kindness, compassion, learn to simplify, learn to be able to let go of a few bits and pieces of sensuality, keep working at it. That's the best definitely mainstream and see where it, where it takes you see where it takes you it may be that you really want to, you find your heart really wants to let go of a lot yeah so I I have taken up a little more time than usual but this is my last session for this particular period and um, I I I, I uh, enjoy these sessions and uh, naturally very um, grateful and commend the host's capacity to hold such an occasion and we all benefited from that so Anamodana, Anamodana Bita well done and hopefully we'll meet again take good care